From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Inside Politics from Please Explain. I'm Rachel Clun, filling in for Jacqueline Maley. It's Friday, December 1. Earlier this month, the High Court overturned 20 years of precedent, ruling that indefinite immigration detention was unlawful. 80 immigration detainees are tonight free after a landmark High Court decision last week. Some of those released are considered a national security risk. It led to the immediate release of dozens of people, some murderers, some sex offenders, and others who had failed on character grounds to remain in Australia, but none of them could be returned to their home countries. Since that November 8 court ruling, the federal government has been scrambling to find a solution, rushing through legislation to impose tough restrictions on the people who were released. Now the High Court's full decision has been handed down, the government is facing political pressure from the coalition to pass new laws that would re-detain the worst offenders in the last few parliamentary sitting days of the year. Today, University of Canberra constitutional and citizenship law expert Professor Kim Rubenstein and Chief Political Correspondent David Crow on where to next for the government on indefinite immigration detention. Kim, the landmark High Court ruling earlier this month has led to the release of 141 people from detention and has had huge political fallout from the government. Before we get into that, I want to discuss the High Court's decision, which has just been released. So what have we learnt about that? Okay, there are a couple of things. First of all, it was a unanimous judgment. Mm. Okay. Now that's quite significant in and of itself. But the other aspect which is really profound is the reaffirmation of separation of powers and really the liberty of every single person in Australia. This really should be reassuring to every um, person living in Australia that just because we elect someone doesn't mean that they then have the power to do whatever they like. They really have to act according to law. And a fundamental part of the rule of law and a Western liberal system is that only judges can punish people. It's not up for the executive to decide from tomorrow that anyone who doesn't agree with you is liable to be placed in detention. So what is it about the Australian constitution and Australian law that means they have to be released? Because one of the released detainees is a political assassin. Yes. Several have been found guilty of sex offences. They're not citizens, yes, but they couldn't be deported, so they were kept in immigration detention. Yes. So on what grounds do they have to be released? So the basis upon which they were detained was not for any of those reasons that you've just explained. They were detained because they had come into the country on a visa or, I mean, each of them would be different, but this, this is another important point. The whole regulation of people coming in and out of Australia is determined on your citizenship. Anyone who is a non-citizen is not allowed into the country without a visa. And as soon as you stay in the country without a visa, the Migration Act mandates you have to be in detention unless you're on a bridging visa. But the High Court said you can only be in detention if it's for the purpose of determining whether you're eligible for a visa. So if you arrive in the country without a visa, they're allowed to put you into detention purely for the purpose of deciding whether you're entitled to a visa. And then if you're no longer entitled to a visa, you can only be kept in detention for the purposes of removing you. So administrative detention, the idea of putting you into custody, taking away your liberty has to be linked to a legitimate administrative purpose. 
But as soon as those objectives are unable to be fulfilled, you can't keep someone in detention unless there is another criminal reason, like criminal purpose, or the criminal law is allowing you to put you into detention. And only judges can put you into detention for that criminal purpose. So for those detainees, they didn't have a visa, but they couldn't be kept in detention because they couldn't be removed. And that's the only valid reason you can keep someone in detention. So these people don't have visas. Yes. Their home countries won't take them back in a lot of instances. Yes. What can the government do in that instance? So under the current system, they have to provide some other form of visa. So under the Migration Act, we have regulations which determine which visas you're entitled to. So they may create a new form of visa for people who are unable to be removed from the country. And that visa might have certain conditions associated with it, which is essentially what's been happening, trying to work out how to manage their continued presence in the country under the current system. And This is when the whole question of punishment starts to arise because if the conditions, and this is something that we're now looking forward to in this looking forward, not as in joyful, but in in terms of looking ahead, um, I think Refugee Legal has mounted a case challenging the new laws that we introduced to manage this group of um, detainees in terms of the requirement to have ankle bracelets and so forth. The government was scrambling today to deal with the fallout from the High Court's recent decision making indefinite immigration detention unlawful. 84 people have been released as a result of the ruling, all with no prospect of being deported, many with criminal records. The government has introduced legislation that imposes conditions, including mandatory ankle bracelets and curfews on those being released. Just to clarify that point, David Mann, refugee advocate who heads Refugee Legal, he was talking about that this week, about challenging the law because he has a client who is an Afghan refugee who was given refugee status but did commit an offence, was fined for that offence and has been in detention for 11 years and is now seeking to overturn the law that says that individual has to wear an ankle bracelet and be subject to a curfew. So that is certainly something that's happening. All this is subject to debate, but that does get us to, I guess, a crucial question this week. We finally got the reasons from the High Court for their decision. Yes. Does that, now that it's being analysed by the government to introduce laws next week, does that give us any clarity about how to structure a law that would allow the 141, to be detained again. Yes, it has. The High Court's actually been quite clear here in the sense that the the framework continues that you're entitled to detain people if you have a reasonable prospect of removing them. And so it really will be a case-by-case scenario to an extent that the government has to assess and in a bona fide way whether they can remove those individuals. And there was quite a bit of discussion in the judgment about for this the particular individual in this case as to the work that had been done trying to find a place for him to be returned to and the government showing that there was no option. And ultimately, there'll have to be on the government's part individual case-by-case assessment as to whether there is any possibility of removing someone. And as soon as they have that possibility, they can place that person in detention for the purposes of removing them. Until that point, they're entitled to some form of visa because the High Court says you can't keep them in detention. David, I think now's a good time to look at actually what the government is proposing at the moment. They've been scrambling a bit since the High Court 
initially made its ruling and now since it's uh, released its decisions. Can you tell us a bit about what the federal government is proposing to do in terms of redetaining the worst offenders, as we've been talking about, those who pose a risk to the community? And how many of the detainees could that impact? The government's confirmed that there are 141 detainees who've been released. Uh, Not all of them are wearing ankle bracelets and subject to curfew, but the goal is that those rules should apply to all of them. We now know that there was one of them who was free and non-contactable. I think uh, if you want to look at it through the tabloid uh, lens, you know, they seem to be on the run basically, but the government made contact with that individual and now they've got that issue under control. Politically, the time is running out for the government to act because parliament ends on Thursday of next week for the year. Something has to be done before then. The government has talked about the urgency of this, but we found out that they weren't ready to put law to the parliament this week. They need more time. They haven't been clear about how they're going to write the law. And this is why it's great to talk to Kim, because at this point, people who know the law can see where the government's going to have to move, but the government's not dropping significant hints about how they're going to do that. They'll have to rush this through Parliament. There'll be people who'll be unhappy with the scope of the law. I think that's going to be clear. There are people who act for refugees now who are going to say this is very troubling. There are going to be problems for Labor on the left in terms of what they do. At the same time, they get attacked by Peter Dutton on the right for not going fast enough or hard enough. So this is the government's dilemma, but they're going to need more time. And this is an example of how politically uh, this is such a fraught issue for Labor when they've got to be on the front foot, but at times have been, uh, I think, caught badly on the politics. Can I comment a little on this? Because I think this is this is something that I feel is missing from the conversation and it's sort of caught up in the tabloid notion of the people being on the run, mm. is there is the potential for a government to say, actually, we should all be really reassured by this decision because it's giving clarity over powers of governments in terms of detention. They would know, as you've just said, of who's within this group. Mm. And, you know, in terms of, of the safety of the community, we're actually safer if we have clarity about the limits on government than this temptation to dramatise individuals who are threats to the community because it's disproportionate to the reality of the consequences of these people being released from detention. And part of it comes from the fact that we've criminalised or made unlawful people purely by not having permits as opposed to their actual personal um, activity. And that's government criminalising people. And this has been bipartisan. We have to be very wary about picking up the tabloid approach to this. And I think there should be more people calling out both sides of government about the ways in which the law and order is used to create a sense of of creating security for the community or making the community feel more secure. There are ways, I think, properly of saying 
we should actually all feel secure by this guidance by the court in a society where we don't just keep people in detention because the government of the day has made that rule. I'm keen, given what you just said there, to get your thoughts about what the government has already proposed, you know, imposing restrictions like electronic monitoring devices and curfews on all of the released detainees. Some of these detainees have already served time for their offences. So what are the legal grounds for imposing these restrictions? Well, I don't think that there are very strong grounds here. And this is, I think, going to be the basis of the next challenge, because if you're placing ankle bracelets purely because you were born in another country and you've outlived your visa, then you're effectively punishing people. It's punitive to walk around with an ankle bracelet. It's othering you in very significant ways in a liberal democratic society. And again, then that says, well, if that's punitive, because if and a person born in Australia who is not subject to those um, those requirements by virtue of their lives, then that has to be for a court to determine because it's such a significant imp- um, imposition on, on the freedom of a person or a curfew, just the curfew aspect of it. It's because of the lottery of where you're born rather than anything inherent in your actions. And so I think that's where it will be interesting to see the court's analysis. And I think all of us as Australians should be wary about determining when people are told to have ankle bracelets or curfews. I mean, think of COVID. We all had difficulty, but we could understand applied to everybody because it was in everybody's interests. I mean, there's debate about that, of course, but but in essence, this is singling out a group of people just by virtue of a lottery of where they're born as to quite sort of draconian aspects to your freedom. Kim, it's been great to have your insights. Thank you so much. My pleasure. David, there are a lot of other items on the government's agenda and one of the biggest is the cost of living crisis. This week, some of Australia's most powerful union leaders demanded urgent action on cost of living and on Thursday, the Treasurer Jim Chalmers met with a group of Labor MPs who want to discuss how they can help their frustrated constituents who believe the government isn't doing enough to ease these pressures. So what are the government's options right now? The government's options are limited but they've got to do something. And I think given the discussion about indefinite detention, detainees and so forth, we've got to remember in the wider community, and the government knows this, nothing matters more than the cost of living at the moment with inflation on the rise or inflation has been on the rise. The government's options are limited because it has to find a way to help with household bills without pushing up inflation. There is no fiscal stimulus option there have got to be other options. And when I talk to members of the Labor caucus, they're impatient about those options. They want to see some action from the government. It's a measured debate inside the caucus, but there is frustration. They like some of the things that they've seen. Help with childcare, help with the cost of medicine. The 60-day prescription policy has been very popular with voters. With ordinary consumers, they'd like to see more of that. Uh, The energy bill relief from a year ago has flowed through to people on income support and on pensions, Labor members would like to see more of that. Can they extend the eligibility? Can they do more on that front? Because the verdict on that policy was pretty clear. It actually did help put downward pressure on inflation. So there are options for the government that are not about pouring money into the economy in a way that drives up the consumer price index. And that's what the discussion is about within uh, the caucus at the moment. So yes, there was a meeting between Jim Chalmers and Labor MPs, they're actually exploring options. 
in some ways, the Labor caucus members are saying, please give us options. We're not sure what the answer is, but can you still, can you please give us some guidance on our agenda for next year? And that's, I think, where the government is at right now. However, there's an economic view and that's your turf, Rachel. So my question for you is, what are economists saying about what's a smart decision or what's a really dumb decision? Well, they say the government is between a rock and a hard place, essentially, here. On the one hand, they've got their constituents really asking for help on these cost of living pressures. But on the other hand, the risk of adding to inflation at a time when the government really needs to be helping the Reserve Bank take some of that inflation out of the economy. So really, they're quite limited. You know, I spoke to um, the Grattan Institute's Brendan Coates yesterday, independent economist Nikki Hutley, amongst others, and they were saying things like energy bill relief you know, sure, they do take inflation down in the short term because they reduce bill prices, essentially. So your bill is lower, that reduces inflation. But in the longer term, that adds to inflation because people have more money in their pockets. So any further energy bill relief would be really tricky, particularly if it was widened because it would add to demand in the economy. They all suggested the best things that the government could do would be to increase the rate of job seeker and increase the rate of Commonwealth rent assistance because it is really the poorest Australians who are struggling the most with these cost of living pressures. More of their money goes to rent, more of their money goes to transport, to grocery bills, and they're cutting back those expenses, you know, having fewer meals a day, that sort of thing. Does that mean that in the view of the economists, people on comfortable incomes should not be getting any more money? That is absolutely the view of economists. It is called the dismal science for a reason, I think, David. But Nikki Hutley made the really good point yesterday that when the inflation genie is out of the bottle, people have got to hurt. Unfortunately, that's the case. And it's the government's job to ensure that those who can afford at least don't take the biggest hit. So that's why they're suggesting things like very targeted additional support for those particular groups of people. Whether the government is willing to do that is another question, but, you know, they've got a really hard line to balance there. So in this episode of Inside Politics, I get to ask the final question, and that question is for you, Rachel, because you've been writing this week about boomers and spending, and there's been huge reader feedback and I think wider feedback in the community. So tell me about your decision to write this opinion piece, which was titled Boomers, I Beg You, Please Stop Spending. What's the reaction been like? Uh, The reaction has been fairly strident, shall I say, David. Um, A lot of boomers defending, you know, the fact that they worked hard, they bought their houses, they, you know, put a lot of effort into the life that they have and they deserve to enjoy their retirement. Um, I'm not saying they don't deserve the money that they've ended up with. I essentially making this argument because as I was saying before, you know, these cost of living pressures don't affect us all equally and the interest rate rises don't affect us all equally. And it's particularly those retired Australians who potentially own their home outright, who have savings, who are actually benefiting from interest rate rises, whereas people with mortgages are, you know, struggling with higher costs. And 
The amount of demand in the economy is still strong enough to have the Reserve Bank Governor Michelle Bullock warning that there will be potentially further rate rises next year. So she's willing to tighten the screws on the economy further if we keep spending. And it is a lot of older Australians who are spending a lot more. Some of it's on things like insurance and health bills, but some of it is on holidays and dining out. And I just think for a couple of months, if they could hold back spending for a little bit, that would be great. <laughs> well, thanks for that explanation. I hope that that calms down the, uh, the feedback that you've been getting. Uh, and let's see what happens with inflation and, uh, and all that spending. So thank you. Thanks, David. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Chi Wong with technical assistance by Debbie Harrington. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Rachel Klun. This is Inside Politics from Please Explain. Thanks for listening.